Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Modern Horse Training and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. So, Dominique, what are we going to talk about today? I want to take just a few minutes to come back to the series of episodes we just did with Joe Lang, because that was pretty head-spinning stuff. Yes, very head-spinning. Yeah, and I think I want to revisit those episodes in the future, take little bits out of the episodes here and there, and maybe you know, break it down and analyze it. Because I think there was a lot in there that maybe generated some questions and that we could... It's always hard to know when you're talking with somebody who has such an incredible depth of knowledge and life experiences, Joe has, but who's not an animal trainer, to know, okay, this is fascinating. It's fascinating. It's really interesting. But how do we use it? No, how do we right. how do we apply it? What do we what what is it that we can learn from this that is meaningful and that is going to make our training better? And I think that's one of the places where it'd be really interesting to to get someone like like Claire engaged in the conversation because she's not only a behavior analyst, but she's a horse owner and a clicker trainer. So right, yeah. Yeah. And so for today, yes. while we're, we're waiting to have Claire with us to discuss <laughs> it some more, I want to refer to a little exchange that you and I had after the podcast with Joe, oh. which, yeah, which I, I don't thought, even remember. Cause, yeah, because one of the things that was discussed during those episodes were the use of schedules when you're maintaining an established behavior versus during shaping. And there seems to be a lot of confusion around all this. And in the exchange that you and I had afterwards, you were saying, you were remembering, you know, that Bob Bailey had done this presentation on all the different schedules and at the end he said well you know when you're shaping which is what most of us are doing right we're not working you know Joe has worked with people who have extent you know very complicated psychiatric tris, I don't know the word psychiatric in English, psychiatric yes. you know issues yeah issues and we're just trying to teach our horses to do fun stuff right most of the time I mean sometimes we do have a more serious emotional ish but so so you were saying after Bob did all this presentation he said to people but you don't need all that all you need to know is that you should be doing continuous reinforcement meaning that you reinforce every response but then you said to me what confused people was that they didn't understand that the behavior could still evolve. That yes. when you say you can reinforce every response, it doesn't mean that you're going to reinforce the same response for the rest of times. Right. And 
there was just like in the same days while we were having this exchange, I read something in the course, which I thought was right on. And you, you wrote in the course, there's a difference. And this, of course, we say when we use loopy training, we say when a loop is clean, you should move on. Yes. So you, you said in the course, there's a difference between clean and fully developed. Yes. And I think that's something that is important to underline. You know, that when you're shaping a behavior, you may have a clean loop, but that doesn't mean it's the final behavior. That's right. That you're going, this is not what your end goal is. Right. So grownups are talking is, a really great behavior to use as, as a way to think about these concepts. Because when you first start out and your horse is really interested in your treat pouch, so he's got his nose over sniffing out your pockets and he moves his nose away from your body. So he's, his nose is more between his shoulders and you click and you give him a treat and then you fold your hands into grownups and you've got a little piece of duct tape on the back of your hand so that that serves as your target and as soon as your hand gets to the duct tape and your horse's nose is still between his shoulders, you click, you reinforce, and you feed where the perfect horse would be. And then your hand comes right back to your target, that piece of duct tape on the back of your hand. And again, as soon as your hand, as your feeding hand lands on that piece of duct tape, it's click and feed. So you can have a clean loop very quickly, but grownups are talking is like a split second. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely not the end behavior. Goal. That's right. not the end goal. But mm -hmm. you have achieved a clean loop that you're able to get your hand back to that target so promptly. And your handling skills are so smooth that your horse doesn't have a lot of time to do anything other than keep his nose between the shoulders. And so now, as you bring your hand to your target, you're going to pause slightly. It's like you do that in your head a thousand one. And if your horse keeps his nose between his shoulders, you click and you reinforce. And so you can move in what could seem like a really seamless progression. If your timing is good, you could move very seamlessly through a whole series of Tyrian shifts. Mm -hmm. And where the loop is getting clean really fast. And as soon as that loop stabilizes, then you're shifting your criterion and the loop stabilizes and you shift the criterion. If you stayed for a really long time at, I touch the back of my hand, click and treat, I touch the back of my hand, click and treat, I touch the back of my hand, click and treat you would end up with something that was really a bit of a mess. Mm. So it's when a loop is clean, you get to move on. Not only do you get to move on, you should move on. So the criteria are shifting. And within that, the requirement, I, I like that word, the requirement that you have set, your learner is meeting that requirement. Yes. Yes. 
So just want to re-emphasize, clean yeah. does not mean fully developed. That's right. Just want that to really be passed on for people who are starting with this is not the same. And you know, that, that idea of fully developed. Is it are, ever? Is it, yes. <laughs> is it I, ever? One of the things that really tripped me up in the early stages was a comment from Kay Lawrence, who's a canine trainer. And she talked about training cues and performance cues. And I, I get, you know, where she's coming from in all of this because she was training dogs for the canine freestyle. So she is performing with her dogs. She's been very successful performing with her dogs. She's performed at Crufts. Mm -hmm. So she's she's a very skilled trainer. And she talked about you know, when she's shaping the behavior, she will have training cues. And then once the behavior is finished, she'll attach a performance cue. Mm -hmm. And I just got really tripped up over the okay. idea of finished. It's like mm -hmm. finished, finished in, in my world. What does finished mean? Because when you're talking about balance you're never finished mm. you know there's always there's always more there's there's you know you think oh that trot just felt so glorious it could never get any better than this and then a few days later you're thinking wow I've never felt anything so beautiful as the trot my horse just gave me it could mm. never get any better than this and and it keeps getting better so there's there's no, there's no sense of it being finished. I and mean, that's the idea when you look at, say, the dressage tests where you start out at training level and then you have to you go up through the various levels into the, and then you get to the pre-St. George and all the rest of that into the Grand Prix. But even when you're at the peak of performance, you're always reaching for that mm -hmm. little bit more, that little bit more. Now, there are some behaviors which I think we could say are behaviors that we maintain they've reached a good enough stage right so cleaning your horse's feet it may be that the way your horse picks up his feet is good enough yeah yeah you don't feel inspired to work on it more mm -hmm. but even in the foot cleaning there's always yeah. there's always the more you know mm -hmm. and i think about what performance level foot cleaning would be would include handling for the farrier where the horse you know you, you you point at the hoof stand and the horse picks his foot up and sets it on the hoof stand and leaves it there while the foot is being trimmed and you could absolutely achieve that high level of foot care mm -hmm. but it may be that that behavior is not let's say it's not valuable enough to you Right. To invest you'd rather in work on something else. You'd rather work on something else, or you haven't seen it trained to that level. So, mm. you, so you don't. You can't even imagine it. You can't imagine it, and I think that's like one of the reasons that I think the in the online clinics we have the monthly coaching sessions. One of the things that's so useful in watching what other people are doing is that it offers bits of inspiration where you see a horse that's absolutely that's, that's performing really beautifully 
in what can be a very simple behavior. You think, mm. wow, that would be fun. That looks really cool. I want oh, yeah. that. I want that. Mm. You know, I think I'm actually becoming addicted to the coaching sessions because I missed one. I couldn't do this one, this last one last Saturday. And I don't know if we've mentioned this to the listeners, but after every coaching session, you do like a recap, a summary, summary. which, which which I really appreciate because, you know, sometimes there's so much going on and you forget or you want to go back to, you you'd like to remember what was said about something and so the summaries again I think you're very generous with that because they come in right after just a few days after the sessions oh and I was reading the session that I (laughs) missed and it was like oh no this is exactly what I've been interested in and so I felt like I had really missed out and it's, I mean, I haven't missed any in, in a long time. And I always, I mean, I guess they're all, they always have something that I'm interested in. This is yeah. why I appreciate them so much. But I just felt like the whole thing seemed to be what I'm most interested in right now. And yeah. I missed it. So it was, it I think was, I'm becoming addicted. <laughs> it was really fun because it was a connect the dots coaching session where we started with backing and ended up with lateral work in hand Mm. and under saddle and talking about some really complex concepts along the way. But, you know, what is particularly fun for me in these coaching sessions is the content is created by the videos that people send in. Mm. So it's created by the lessons that people are working on with their horses. And so we have horses at all different stages within the the training. And as people progress through the clinics and their horses progress and become, you know, just their their repertoires expand, these coaching sessions are going to become even more interesting because we're going to be pushing the work further forward, you know, deeper into the, the advanced layers of the training, which is going to make it really fun what if i'm starting i was going to say we're always going to be tying it back Mm -hmm. to those core foundation lessons because there will be people at different stages and so you get you get to see oh this is what's coming Mm -hmm. and you also get the reminders of oh this is how i got here Mm. but you know i need to go refresh this element because it's gotten a little a little sticky as I've been moving forward with my horse. So it's, but for me, it's really interesting because the content is generated by what people are working on, by what people send in. It's all supported by the background information within the clinics. The online clinics. On the online clinics. Yeah, right. which, which I keep calling the course. Yes, I, well, say I, the I do it both. Yeah. Um, they're sort okay. of a course, a clinic, whatever we call them, they're mm-hmm. online. So in this last coaching session, so it's people send in their videos and then I send them back email comments on the videos that they sent in. So in a sense, it's like having a private lesson. And then once a month, we have a group lesson. And one of the things that was really interesting for me 
when I first started teaching was, you know, when I started out, I was working with individuals, teaching private lessons. And then I started giving clinics and the clinic process is so very different from working with individuals. And I think the the learning that you get Mm. through a clinic is so much more Mm. intense because you're not just looking at where you currently are, Mm. but you're looking at a timeline. You know, you're seeing horses that may be where you've been as well as horses that are showing you where you're going. And the the learning process for everybody within a clinic, I think is really powerful. So to be able to have both of those through Zoom, (laughs) I think is is really good. So, So that took us a long way away from continuous reinforcement schedules, but that's all right. Yeah. Well, for today, I think, on the schedules, it's, you know, I, I don't want to go any farther because there are other things I want to discuss, but I'd okay. like to have someone with us to help us dissect it. Yes. So I'm going to, I've picked a few other subjects from the online course, and there's one that I thought was very interesting because, again, it was contrary to what a lot of people are told. And it was about working on both sides of a horse. Because we're told that we should, whatever you do on one side, you should do it on the other side. You should always work both sides equally. And so someone was asking, should I, should I, is that what I should be doing? Because I saw you working more on this side and you weren't working on the other side. So what do you have to say on that? So there's a lot to be said. And and I think part of this goes back to what Peregrine taught me. So Peregrine locked in both of his stifles. And he could lock really hard and fast. And when he locked in his stifles, often the only way that he could unlock them was explosively. He would just blast forward. And his left side was easier to work than his right side. And one of the things that he really struggled with was changing from one rein to the other. So if I got him sorted out on the left, his left side would work fairly well. But then if I changed to the right, his right side just, it would be, it would be a mess. It would be very hard for me to connect with him and get even simple things like turning off the rail. And I was I was in a boarding situation. There are <laughs> uh, there are sort of rules of the road when you're in a boarding situation. You know, it's past left to left and and all these things, and you're you, you have to be mindful of the other people in the arena. And I was in one time I was in a large barn. And there were there's one rider in particular who was just plain mean and who liked to make trouble for the other riders and who was not at all gracious about oh my god. Oh, I mean boarding nice. No, it's not. Boarding situations can be quite a study in human behavior. Well, 
I mean, I'm in a private place right yes. now. Maybe that's I'm, why. I haven't thought. I haven't thought of him. It's interesting. It was a man. I haven't thought of him in a, in a long, in a lot of years. This is bringing bringing back not good <laughs> memories. <laughs> not good memories. But and he was not at all considerate of you know on a horse you're struggling with. And so it was really important that if I was riding Peregrine, that that I needed to be able to get off the rail, make room for this, you know, not not cause ripples. And there were times when I would get on the right rein, and I could he just I couldn't turn him. His mm. his body was so locked up, he couldn't turn, and it could be very dangerous. So if mm. in those times when his stifles were locking and I couldn't I couldn't get the softening that I needed, I was at risk. I was at risk of having the stifle lock up, having him plunge forward into a hard buck to release them. And that hard buck that he went into. I never did learn to stay on it past the third buck. Well, you see, that's that's a new behavior you could want to learn. <laughs> right, I could make that loop cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was really important to me that if I was riding him, that his right side, because that was the worst side, that it was functioning. And so I would often spend 90% of the ride working on his right side because it was the most problematic side. And right. and I spent very little time on the left because I could usually get the left side to work. Now, this mm -hmm. is a long time ago. This is predating clicker training. So mm -hmm. this is a very long time ago. But even so, this is, this is where I learned that you do not have to work both sides equally mm -hmm. to affect both sides. Because what I was working on was really his overall balance and the way he used his spine. Mm. And by staying on the right side, the more problematic side that I really needed to get so that he was working enough on the right side that we were out of the danger zone. But what happened is both sides got better. And because I was working on underlying fundamental balance, so that was one of the learnings, that you don't have to work both sides equally in order to teach both sides. Mm. Then another piece that I learned is that sometimes when you switch back and forth, mm -hmm. what the horse learns is, oh, well, this is hard for me. Mm. Say, say you're, you're going around a turn and the horse is falling through the turn on, on the right rein. And you change and you go on to the left rein for a little bit. And so you you work a little bit on the right rein, but nothing really changes. You go over to the left rein, the horse goes, oh, so you keep switching back and you forth. Switch, yes. And the horse is saying, oh, good. This feels so much more normal. This this is feels more comfortable. I feel safer on the, on this rein. I don't feel so out of balance. It's a bit like whichever hand is your dominant hand and you're riding with your, let's say you're right-handed and you're riding with your right hand and then somebody makes you write with your left hand. You know, this is 
this feels so awkward. And then you, as soon as you go back to the right hand, you go, oh, shoot. Oh, good. Um, so much better. better. Right. So what sometimes can happen is because you change back, the horse doesn't need to make a commitment in changing his balance mm-hmm. because he knows any minute now he's yeah. going to be able to get back to the good. So it's going to so, be uncomfortable for a few strides and then she'll stop asking all right. this stuff. Yes. So that can mm-hmm. happen. On the other hand, so that's one dynamic that can happen. Another dynamic that can happen is the good side can teach the awkward side. So the side that knows how to do something. So you spend a little bit of time on the side that's working, and then you briefly visit the side that doesn't work so well. And you just notice one or two little details of what is it what can the side that knows how to bend, for example, that knows how to turn and soften and give, what can you learn from that side that you can carry over and teach to the side that isn't as clearly programmed? So that can happen. Another dynamic, this is all these, it, it depends kinds of things. And a dynamic that is really useful is you take that idea of well, the side that understands can help the side where it feels more awkward. So you teach the side. Let's say you have a horse who's really stiff. And I'm thinking of a particular horse, because of course right now, who is very, very stiff, both to the left and the right. And so going back and forth really wouldn't have been that useful because it would have been going from stiff to stiff to stiff to stiff. And, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't have been that useful. So instead, I stayed on the first day, I stayed a long time on the left side. And I don't think I worked the right side at all Mm. that first session, but I worked a lot on the left and the horse softened like butter. He was just such a lovely feel to feel in his pole. He just released his jaw softened. Everything just, just freed up. It's like you'd taken WD-40 and sprayed all the joints in his body. He just felt lovely. And he got a lot of reinforcement because they're doing little gives, little gives, little gives, little gives. So he had a lot of reinforcement. And I'm sure that he felt really good at the end of that session to go from locked up like iron to Mm. soft like butter it's got to feel good. Mm-hmm. I suspect he had headaches. He was so locked up and stiff. So the next day, I worked the left. Then I moved briefly to the right. And when I got even on the smallest change on the right, I went back to the left side. And the left side was now clearly working as a conditioned reinforcer. Mm-hmm. So the opportunity to go back to the left side was reinforcing the work on the other, the less preferred side. side. Mm -hmm. So if I had said on that first day, well, I've worked the left side for, you know, 20 clicks, I need to go work the right side for 20 clicks so that the treats in my pocket go down evenly. And at the end of the session, I have used the same amount of treats in the left side as the right side. I don't think I would have gotten the change that I got from that horse. Mm. So 
it's it's not so much about working any side, any length of time or proportion to the other one, but more to teach the horse how to organize, to figure out how to organize his body. Yes. And you're presenting ideas and opportunities for him to explore his own balance. You're not imposing. You are suggesting. Wow. And, and then the idea to use the more preferred size, side as a reinforcer to the less preferred side yes. is also an interesting piece to have. Yeah. And the this idea of what can the side that feels functional, it feels good, it feels balanced, it feels whatever word you want to put in there. What am I doing on that side that I can observe and try on the other side? And you, we, you can feel this when we do the body awareness explorations. One of the things we did in the coaching session that we just had, we started with backing. And, and I wanted people to explore backing in their own bodies. So midway through the coaching session, I had everybody stand up and we just backed up. So it's it's observed without judgment. So it's it's not, let me change what I how I'm backing. It's just back up four or five steps. Don't think about what you're doing. Just do it. How do you back up? Just observe it. And of course, when we're doing it, it's hard to observe because we're, you know, we're so used to walking that we don't really think about how we walk so the idea is all right now let's slow it down mm -hmm. because when you slow things down it becomes much easier to observe what mm -hmm. it is that you're doing and it's also more challenging it's difficult it's difficult to do things slowly so mm -hmm. you slow it down and in slowing it down you get to see all the all the little bottles, all the little places where there's uncertainty and where the speed kind of rushes past that. You know, oh, I, I, I don't really know the answer. So let me just talk really fast. And maybe you won't notice that I didn't really answer the question. So you slow things down. And maybe you find that when you take a step back with your left foot, that that feels fine but when you start to step back with your right foot oh it's like you're on a tightrope bobbling all over the place and and let me let me grab hold of the back of a chair for support so clearly there's a difference between the left side and the right side so now when you slow it down you can say what am i doing on the left side what am i doing that's so different from what i'm doing on the right side and what am I doing that I can use and teach my right side and, and try on the right side to see what effect that it has? And that's a very powerful tool. So it's a powerful tool for us as handlers, you know, when you're doing the rope handling. As, as handlers, we have to be ambidextrous. And this is one of those things that I think with the dog training, when I look at a lot of the dog trainers, when they come into the horse work and I say, well, you know, now you've got to swap the hand that you're feeding with. And they're going, but I, but I always feed with my right hand. You know, it's like, 
Yeah, but horses, one of the differences with horses is we need to be ambidextrous because we're going to be on the right side and then we're going to be on the left side. And, and when we're riding, we need to be ambidextrous. So we have to train ourselves to be equally skilled feeding with our dominant hand as well as our non-dominant hand. So this awareness exploration of saying, what am I doing? Say I'm on the left side of the horse and it feels really comfortable to reach into my pocket and feed with my left hand because I'm on the left side of the horse. And then I go to the right side and it just feels awkward and clumsy and I want to continue to feed with my left hand. But Alex is there in the background saying, oh, no, 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 no. When you're on the right side, feed with the right, you know, with your right hand. And so what is it that through an awareness exploration, when you don't have the horse, you're just pretending that the horse is there. What is it that the side that knows how to do it, that knows how, that feels fluid in doing a particular skill, what can you learn that you can transfer then to the side that feels more awkward? I want to bring something up too regarding the sides because we're talking about when the horse is stiffer on one side, moving, but even prior to that, just having your presence yes. on one side. Because I remember when I adopted Bonanza, he wouldn't let me go on his right side just to brush him. He wouldn't even he wouldn't let me go there. So he he was okay on the left side, but no, not the other side. And so I wasn't even asking him to do anything. I just wanted yeah. to go there and brush it. So that's also something to think about, you know, that you may think, oh, his preferred side, but have you even seen if it's just your mere presence next to the horse? Yeah. Is there something, there might be some emotional baggage more on one side than the other or whatever it is, but you know, you're not asking for anything, but just let me go there. And you talked about that a little bit too in your yeah. in your answer to this person saying, you know, you could you could work on the left side and click for, you know, because it's let's imagine that this is the preferred side. And while he's eating, because you say when when there's a problem with one side, you may want to just go and visit there and then yes. come back to the preferred side. And very early in the beginning, you're saying you could use the time while he's eating to just move your feet to yes. get a little bit to the other side, and then you can click right away and come back. So, you know, when we're talking about breaking it down in smaller steps, smaller sizes, even, you know, when you're talking sides, and you can that. That. Can, that can be for people who are just beginning to explore this work. That can be a real head spinner because what many people are taught is that the horse is the one who has to move his feet. So the one, because it's all part of the, this, the mythology of dominance. Right. So, you know, the, the one who moves is. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've yes, heard that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's sort of like the two horses who want one hay pile. And one horse drives mm. another horse away. Right. That's where this idea comes from. Well, that's that's all right if we're fighting over hay piles, maybe, but that's not what this is about. 
And it is okay. It is more than okay to move around your horse. Of course so, it is. So when I am on the left side and my horse is comfortable with me on the left side, it is perfectly okay for me to be the one who moves rather than making the horse move. And that one of the easiest ways to get to the, the side that the horse does not want you on is while you are presenting the food, the horse has his nose on your hand and you just keep your hands still and you move around your feet. Mm -hmm. you move your feet. And, but you're not going to stay there very long. And you're not going to all the way to the flank or the tail. No. You're, you're just, just you're just on the other side. Yeah. You're just visiting. Mm. And you think of that. You're just visiting. You, and you stay there very briefly. And then you go back to the other side. One of the easiest ways to do that is if you've reached a stage where you can work with mats, is you... You have a mat in the middle of a circle. You're working out on the rim of the circle. Maybe your horse is much better on the, on the left, for example. And so you come in to the mat that's in the center. And when you get to the mat, to that central mat, you're going to change sides. So every time you go into the center of the circle to that mat, you know you're going to change sides. So when you change sides, you're now on the right side, you click, you treat, you ask the horse to take a couple of steps forward, click and treat and go back to the mat, chain sides. And now you're going out all the way around the cones doing much more work on the left side. You come back into the middle, you click, you treat, you change sides to the right. And you're just asking, you're asking for much, much, much less. So you don't have to get the same thing on both sides, which is also something I know in lessons that I've taken, lessons that I've watched, you know, well, we cantered on the left, so we have to canter on the right. And you have to get sort of equivalent performance. But the horse isn't ready to give you equivalent performance. You mentioned too, in that same spirit that people were thought you should always walk, trot, canter in every session. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Yeah. Even if your horse is not ready to, you can't even do it properly at the walk, but you have to do it all. Yes. On all sides. Yeah. So no, these notions of what you must do. The shoulds. The should. You should do what you and your horse are comfortable doing, ready to do, fits the day, not that fits somebody else's notion of you must do this. Yeah. I, I think you're right that a lot of those, not all, but a lot of those shoulds come from dominance philosophy, like you should never eat after your dog. You should never let your dog go through a door first. You know, it's it's all dominance philosophy yeah. voodoo as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. But you know, it's like what you were saying. You 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 should not move your feet. Your horse should move his feet. But I know I can make between bracket my horses move his feet anytime I want, very softly actually. 
Yes. You know, I know I can have him move his feet. So, and there are times when I want to move my feet. You yes. know, for instance, when if he's tied to a fence and I want to brush on the other side and not, and he's parallel to the fence, let's say, I'm not going to ask him to move his feet. It's not convenient at all. I want to move my feet and I want him to know that this is what's happening and that it's, it's he's, he, he's familiar with it too. So, right. but I think... I don't know, in training, probably. There are so many of these notions that are taught and that can be challenged for sure. Yes, yes. yes. Mm -hmm. absolutely. Okay, another topic which I thought was interesting. It was about Piaf. Since we're about to change topics, this is a good place to stop. We're going to switch to talking about Piaf, but you may be thinking, Piaf isn't on your radar. You're a trail rider. You're not a dressage rider. That's not how you view yourself. So teaching something like Piaf is, is not a goal you have. So maybe you'll just skip next week's episode. But what I'd like to say to you is this episode really is very much for you. What we're really going to be talking about is teaching your horse how to go from very settled and deeply relaxed to full of energy, the kind of energy that can be channeled into performance, and then back to settled and deeply relaxed. It doesn't matter what activities you enjoy when you ride. Having a horse that can shift his level of energy is an important aspect of your training. Throughout this conversation, you've been hearing Dominique and I refer to the online clinics and coaching sessions, and you may not be sure what, what those are. During lockdown, like everybody else, I moved from in-person events to online clinics. That was quite a learning curve for me, but it led to the development of eight clinics that I maintain online. They take you from the very beginning steps that introduce you and your horse to the basics of clicker training, and then step-by-step, layer-by-layer, through a very constructional approach, they take you to advanced performance. So these clinics offer an opportunity to really develop to the full your clicker-trained horse, and they offer an opportunity to work directly with me, no matter where in the world you live. You can learn more about the clinics at my website, theclickercenter.com. They can indeed help you to train well and to have fun with your horses, which is, of course, what I wish for all of you. So until next time, very much have fun with your horses.